Let me ask you this morning, do you love him? Of course you do. So keep persevering under your various trials and learn the secret of considering them as pure joy and keep longing to know more of Christ and thus the fellowship of his sufferings. Amen? Easy to say, a little bit harder to do, but therein is the walk of faith. So in our text before us this morning, verses 19 through 27, James gives us three more admonitions when faced with various trials. The first, from verses 19 through 21, we're going to see that we have a need to be patient. Secondly, from verses 22 to 25, we're going to see that we have a need to be obedient to the Word of God. And thirdly, in verses 26 and 7, we're going to see and learn of our need to be others-focused while going through trials. When going through trials, we oftentimes become very myopic. We look at ourselves very closely and we examine our, our issues and we get obsessed. And, and the Scripture is going to say we need to be others-focused. So let's take a look at these. Number one, our need to be patient. Look at verse 19. James writes, This you know, my beloved brethren, but everyone must be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. The first thing James tells us is that we should be what? Quick to hear. And just in case you've missed the general observation about the human head, God gave each of us two ears and only one mouth. And here, James tells us to use our ears to a greater degree than we use our mouths when we are facing various trials. And why might that be an important practice? Well, because in the context of various trials, we far too often speak wrongly about those trials that we are facing in our lives. We fail to think clearly and rationally as James is laying out here for us. So he's saying, listen, be quick to hear. Be quick to hear. But the question that we need to be asking of the text currently is, what does James want us to hear? Quick to hear what? Be quick to hear. Slow to speak. Slow to anger. Quick to hear what? Well, we need to be quick to hearing the truth that James has been laying out for us from verses 2 all the way through verses 18 thus far. We need to be quick to hear the Word of God, to know what the Word of God says when facing various trials. And hearing here has the idea of not just opening your ears, but more specifically of opening your heart and having the receptiveness and submissiveness to that which you are hearing in God's Word. I think all of us as a spouse have been guilty before of listening but not actually hearing what's being said. Anybody guilty? We're all guilty, and we have to make certain that we're not being guilty of that with regard to God's Word, with respect to how we deal with trials. It will be unfruitful. It would be unhelpful. And James is calling on us to be quick at hearing and receiving God's instruction regarding our various trials. So from James chapter 1, we have all heard truth regarding trials, have we not? 
If you've been here since the beginning of James chapter 1, verse 1, we, we have been hearing truth from God's Word with regard to how we should be viewing and valuing the various trials and why we should consider them all joy. We must be quick to hear. Amen? Be quick to submissively respond to God and His Word. That is true hearing. And secondly, James tells us that we should be slow to speak. Quick to something and slow to another thing. Slow to speak. And this has the idea of being wise and purposeful with our speech. Proverbs, here's just two. I probably could have put like 50 on here from the Proverbs, right? But Proverbs 10.19 says, When there are many words, transgression is unavoidable, but he who restrains his lips is wise. We should learn the art of being slow to speak, especially with regard to trials. Because sometimes we need to do what verse 8 says, and we need to ask and pray for wisdom on how best to understand why God has providentially allowed these trials to touch our lives in the first place. Slow to speak. Proverbs 21, 23 says, He who guards his mouth and his tongue guards his soul from troubles. Slow to speak. James is saying that we are to be careful and cautious about how we speak regarding our various trials. Because again, far too often we say things that absolutely contradict the very teaching that we see within God's Word and thereby lead ourselves astray from the sanctifying work that the truth of God brings to our lives. It was Jesus himself in John 17, 17, who in his high priestly prayer when praying for those who had come to faith in him, prayed to the Father and he said, Sanctify them in truth. Thy word is truth. And James is a word from God. It's a word of truth from God. It's a sanctifying word of truth from God. And James is saying to be careful with what you say. Make certain that your opinion and your advice to yourself and others when speaking about your life's circumstances and your various trials is consistent with what God's Word says about God's purpose for and use of those various trials in the lives of His children. We need to be slow to speak, brothers and sisters. Allow the truth of God's Word to be your authority in life. And thirdly, James tells us here, not only quick to hear and slow to speak, we're also to be slow to anger. James here is not advocating that anger is okay as long as you come by it slowly, by the way. Well, I, got to, I got to my great boiling angry, but I did get there slowly, so it's in accordance with God's word. That's not what he's talking about here unless it's a righteous indignation. Slowness has the idea of being under control for the purpose of preventing anger in the first place. And 
I think there's obvious reasons why this might be important. A few, a few proverbs to point this out. 14.29 says, He who is slow to anger has great understanding, but he who is quick-tempered exalts folly. In Proverbs 16.32 says, He who is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he who rules his spirit than he who captures a city. Anger is a fleshly emotion that we can unleash at a moment's notice. And the surest way to tell that we are not spiritually prepared to face the trials that have been laid before us under the providential hand of God is that we get angry when trials touch our lives. Brothers and sisters, please be slow to anger. Because when we fail to have self-control and instead display anger as a response to trials in life, we're displaying a lack of trust in God. We're displaying a lack of trust not only in God, but in the sanctifying power of God and His Word. Sanctify them in truth. Thy Word is truth. I'm doubtful of that truth. Jesus says it doesn't matter. I'm doubting that truth because I don't like my circumstances. And this only hurts ourselves. Sin leads to death. Thinking and speaking and acting wrongly with regard to trials only hurts ourselves. We saw that there at the end of chapter 1, verse 15, that sin brings forth what? Death. Death. Separation of relationship, of multiple relationships, a relationship with Christ that needs continual forgiveness and repentance a daily cleansing, relationship with a husband or a wife or with your children or whoever it may be, sin leads to death. Be slow to anger. And in verse 20, he explains the reason why slowness to anger matters as much as it does. This was a verse that I memorized early on when I was still single in my 20s, just having come to faith in Christ I learned the importance of hiding God's word in my heart so that I might not sin against him. And I specifically remember James 1.20 being one of those because when I first got saved, I, I was a young man who had a lot of anger pent up within him. I was one of the unfortunate few in life, or maybe more than the few is maybe the wrong word there, that unfortunately grew up fatherless. My dad left my family when I was two, and if you just read the studies on that, it doesn't leave the the sons or daughters who have not a father in the home in a very good place. And I had a lot of anger in my heart towards my biological dad. And the first thing, the first thing God had me deal with whenever I got saved was the forgiveness of my father, my biological dad that I barely even knew. But it, it was more important for me than even having to deal with him. I needed to clear this anger issue up with my heavenly father. And so I, I memorized James 1.20, and by the way, it's an easy one to memorize. It's short. I like short verses when I'm doing scripture memory. How about you? I'm down with that. For the anger of man, it says in 1.20, does not achieve the righteousness of God. And when I got saved, my desire was to live a righteous life before God the Father. That's what I wanted. I had new affections, new interests, new desires, new, a new purpose, a new sense of hope and meaning in life. I wanted to live in a way that was pleasing to God, and I recognize that anger, my anger, Ben's anger, would not achieve that. So wrong responses to trial, which leads to anger, will not achieve the righteousness of God. 
meaning the, 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 the progressive sanctification into the image and character of Jesus Christ that he has purposed for his children. It will not accomplish or achieve those ends. But in verses 2, 3, and 4, they tell us very clearly what will achieve the righteousness of God in our lives. And that is in rightly responding to His Word, to the various circumstances that we are faced with in our lives each and every day, moment by moment. And unfortunately, life is a prevailing of a, all kinds of various assortments of, of trials and difficulties that come and go in and out of our lives. And so we must be those who go to God's Word because when we do, when we go to God's Word and we find ourselves angry angry over trials, we have no one to blame but ourselves because James told us last week in verses 13 through 15 that God's not the one that's tempting us to think wrongly about these trials. He's given us His Word. This is how God wants us to think about them. He's letting us know that there's our own flesh. Our flesh is raging against what we don't like, and we don't like trials in, lives. But do we, in our lives. But do we like the, the truth that God's going to be growing us up in Christ. And the answer for the believer ought to be and should always be yes. Let it be so, Lord. Whether they're really big trials or garden day, everyday garden variety type trials, we need to be responding in agreement with God and His Word instead of re- reacting wrongly in our flesh. Amen? That's what we need to do. So, in verse 21, James reminds us just how sufficient God's Word truly is. If we need to be clinging to it, notice verse 21, how sufficient it truly is. He says in verse 21, Therefore, putting aside all filthiness in all that remains of wickedness, in humility receive the Word implanted, which is able to save your souls. Which is able to save your souls. God's Word, properly applied, is the only thing able to save your soul. And in the context of James chapter 1 here, James isn't speaking of salvation here in chapter 1 as in the context, let's say, of a John 3.16, that God so loves the world, that whosoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. That's not the kind of saving in James chapter 1, verse 21, in this context of dealing with various trials. That's not the kind of saving he's talking of. He's talking of saving our soul from bitterness and loneliness or resentment and anger and depression and every other form of mental anguish that results from the wages of sin, which is death, which comes by way of wrongly thinking and thus responding to the various trials that we have faced and are facing in life. So the the putting aside of the filthiness and all that remains of wickedness, contextually, when I see this, What that makes me think of are the wrong responses that the 12 tribes who are dispersed abroad, the brothers who have been dispersed, and these brothers and sisters who have gone out, that they're perhaps responding wrongly, and so they need to be putting aside wrong behavior patterns and wrong responses that James seems in the context here to be describing and defining as 
that which is filthiness and wickedness, which is what sin is when it's against the holy God. We sometimes think that, well, you know, we justify ourselves in our sin. Well, I have a, a, a justification for feeling the way I feel. Did you, are you seeing what's happening? I've lost everything, these brothers and sisters might be saying. I've lost my house, my land. I've lost my, my normal way of living. I'm kind of feeling like I have a point of justification in feeling this way. And James, in essence, is saying there's no justification for sin against God. You need to put that aside. You need to stop doing that, and instead, in humility, receive the word. And which word would James be talking about to these 12 tribes who are dispersed abroad? The word that he has just written to them and ascending to them. Receive this word from God in humility. Implant that truth within you. It's able to save your soul. It's able to save your soul from the continual, incessant sense of self-pity that we drudge ourselves through as a result of not liking the providential hand of God in our lives. In other words, James is simply saying this, brothers and sisters, when you respond in humility to God's word, it can save your souls from all sorts of mental anguish and torment and depression and frustration. Paul said he learned the secret of what? Of being content. Of being content with a little, being content with a lot, of learning to be content with perhaps the trials that came in his life. He asked the Lord to remove a thorn that was in his flesh three separate times. And on every occasion, the Lord said what? Said, no. My grace is sufficient for you. Be content therein. Be content with a circumstance that's difficult in your life. Learn the secret of contentment. Learn that this world is not your home. Learn that God is making you meet for heaven. Learn that he's wanting to transform your character more into the image of Jesus Christ as you go through various trials. Learn that responding rightly to the word implanted, the word of God implanted in our souls, this is why we hide God's word in our hearts, that we will not sin against him. It will save your souls from a world of troubles that you bring upon yourselves. I believe contextually this is what James is saying here in verse 21. Isn't that good news? It has been for me, because I've practiced this on more than one occasion. Okay, twice. Okay, three times. No, like, like almost every day. I told you, if you're going to memorize any chapter in the book of the Bible, James 1 needs to be the chapter you memorize, because this is where we live every day of our lives. Do we have a need for patience in trials? Absolutely. We also have a need for obedience. Look at verses 22 through 25. In verse 22, James says, here's another one of those imperatives in the Greek text. An imperative, as I mentioned earlier on, is simply a, it's, in, it's translated into English. It's, it's in a sense of a command. It's the word prove. But prove yourselves... Doers of the word and not merely hearers who, del who delude themselves. 
James warns us here of only being professional hearers of God's Word, and I'm going to add when we come to church on Sundays or anywhere else we may go where we expose ourselves to the teaching of God's Word. Be careful not to be professional hearers of God's Word only. This word for delude, it's a fun word to say in the Greek, it's paralogizomai. It's kind of fun to say that. You want to practice that? It just rolls right off the tongue, paralogizomai. It's, it's the idea of incorrect reasoning, of delusional thinking. So prove yourselves doers of the word and not merely hearers who paralogizomai themselves, delude themselves, fool themselves, reason incorrectly among themselves as to why God's word isn't that which we should be provers of being doers of. In other words, we've become also not only professional hearers, we've become professional in thinking that our opinions are stronger and more powerful than God's and that our ways are better than God's ways. God's way says do this and you can have human flourishing, but I'm going to outsmart God and I'm going to find a different way to find human flourishing instead. When paralogizomai is used in mathematics, the meaning is that of a miscalculation. You might like that one right there, Alex. He's my math guy. It's the idea of a miscalculation. James is saying to those who hear the word of God without obeying the word that they have made a serious spiritual miscalculation. Every single one of us here this morning desire human flourishing, do we not? There's not a one of us here this morning who do not want the flourishing of the human soul and want to prosper in life, correct? Is anybody in here saying, no, Pastor Ben, I want suffering and more of it now. Please, dish it up. Anybody? Because we have some people out back that might can help you find a dish of that somewhere. It's out there in the world's culture. And all you got to go and just live according to the world's system, the world's ways, the world's wisdom, and you can, get, uh, you can get all of the misery you want. Trust me, just do empirical data research and look out there in the culture and notice the misery and the heartache and the broken homes, the broken families. Just notice them. They're everywhere, and they're smarter than God. They know that they've, got a way. they've figured it out. But right here, no, th- not, not this. <laughs> they figured it out. I'm telling you. That is a serious spiritual miscalculation. If you want human flourishing in every relationship that you have and in everything you do, prove yourself to be a doer of the word of God and not a a hearer who perhaps is simply deluding themselves. It really is that easy. It really is that easy. So starting in verse 2, James said, consider it all joy when you encounter various trials. Be a doer of that word. In verse 4, he said, let endurance have its perfect result. Be a doer of that word. In verse 5, he said, when doubting God's goodness and trials, he said, ask for wisdom. Be a doer of that word. And on and on we could go. Verse 9, glory in your high position in Christ. Be a doer of that word. Again, not to do so, James is saying, would be a serious spiritual miscalculation. A.W. Tozer, I have a quote from him here. It's, It's very pointed. He says, there is an evil which I have seen under the sun. 
It is the glaring disparity between theology and practice among professing Christians. So wide is the gulf that separates theory from practice in the church that an inquiring stranger who chances upon both would scarcely dream that there was any relation between them. An intelligent observer of our human scene who heard the Sunday morning sermon and later watched the Sunday afternoon conduct of those who had heard it would conclude that he had been examining two distinct and contrary religions. Let that not be true of you. Prove yourselves doers of the word. And then again, in this context, it's in the context of your various trials in any and every circumstance of your life. And in verses 23 and 24, he illustrates this for us. 23 and 4, he says, For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks at his natural face in a mirror. Verse 24, For once he has looked at himself and gone away, he has immediately forgotten what kind of person he was. Now, the main point of this analogy is that of forgetfulness. The hearer of the word who is not also a doer is like a person who carefully observes his natural face in the mirror, yet as soon as he is finished looking, it says he has immediately. He has immediately forgotten what kind of person he has just observed himself to be which is a person in desperate need of change. When we look into the mirror of God's Word, we see a person who's desperately in need of change. Listen, when you looked in the mirror this morning, you got up this morning at some point, and I'm assuming that every single one of you probably looked into a mirror this morning at some point, and you realized something you realized that you were a person that was in need of major changing before you showed up here this Sunday morning. Right? And by the looks of all of you, it seems that you were obedient to the vision that you saw in the mirror this morning because I don't see any of you here with bedhead, pajamas on, or bad breath. You took heed of what you observed when you looked in the mirror this morning, true? I'm telling you, you did because I'm looking at you. It's obvious. If I was standing up here in my PJs and bedhead, you would say, Pastor Avery, you looked in the mirror this morning, and you went away, and you forgot that you were a person in need of change. And that's exactly what believers do who continually look into the Word of God, and they leave it, and they never, ever, ever change, ever. It would be that silly, just as silly as me standing up here preaching in my PJs with bedhead. Our Christian culture just doesn't take obedience and a glad submission to God's Word very importantly, does it? And we think that's okay. you got people out there in the Christian community who, think, who actually think that's okay. Would it be okay if I was standing up here preaching in my PJs with bedhead and unbrushed teeth? That would not be okay. That would not be appropriate. You wouldn't be back next week, I have a feeling unless you're into really strange things. The 
analogy, the illustration of verses 23 and 24 is a very pointed conversation that we need have with ourselves. And when you look at yourself in the Word of God and you go away from it, you do not want to immediately forget what kind of person you saw when you gazed into the Word of God. And when I gaze into the Word of God in James chapter 1 and I look at this intently, I see in, in my life, I see a man who needs to continually be changing his perspective with regard to the various trials that I face and make certain that they are in conformity with what God's Word is saying. And in humiliation, I need to do that because... I want to be that man in verse 12 who persevered under trial all the way to the end, knowing that God is in the process of this approval work in my life so I can receive that crown of life that the Lord has promised to me, to those who love Him. I don't know about you, but that's when God saved me, that was the heart change that He gave me. It's no longer about me. It's about Him. And I've always tried to be as submissive to the Word of God as I possibly could because I learned in 20 short years that I was not smarter than God. And that my ways of thinking of how I could make life work left me bankrupt. And I cried out to God in desperate need. And everything good that I have in my life today is a direct result of God's grace. Everything and simply trying to obey His Word. Have I done it perfectly? No. But I've always tried to have, be quick in repentance. If I sin in the home, I've trained my family, call me on it. Might does not make right. God's Word is always right. Dad, that, Dad, that was kind of harsh the way you were correcting me there. And I have to recognize that was harsh. I was raising my voice. The anger of Ben will not achieve the righteousness of God. It won't. So no need to raise my voice in the discipline of my children. It trains them that I think I'm smarter than God in His ways. And so then I repent before them. I repent to God, tell them I'm sorry. And then I say, spare not the rod and spoil the child. Bend over, it's time to get your lickings. But you do it without the anger. Drop all the anger. Accomplish what God wants to accomplish good in your life. Are you following me here? Are you seeing what James is saying? Do not be this person. Do not be the professional hearer of God's Word who goes professionally to church service after church service, Sunday after Sunday, Bible study after Bible study, but you perpetually walk away and you forget that you're the person in need of change. In your spiritual life, you have bedhead morning breath and you're wearing your PJs. Don't be that person. So instead of that, verse 25, James says, do this. Obedience to God's word it always pays off. Verse 25, he says, but one who looks intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty, and abides by it, not having become a forgetful hearer but an effectual doer, this man will be blessed in what he does. So in contrast to the person of verses 23 and 4, the person of verse 25 is one who looks into the Word of God and habitually reduces it to practice. Their practice of looking intently has real practical results for their lives. 
And to people like this, the Bible is what it calls here the perfect law, the law of liberty. It's that which sets us free, free to walk in obedience to God, free to consider our trials as joy because we recognize something bigger than ourselves, and that's God's work and involvement in our lives. These are the believers who are truly benefiting from the Word of God. Those who are being doers of the Word. And it will bring incalculable blessings to your soul. That is not a miscalculation. That is truth. So again, in the context of trials, we need simply to obey the Word of God. We need we need. Patience when facing trials. We need to be obedient to the Word of God when facing trials. And now the last admonition that James is going to give us when facing trials is our need to be others-focused. Notice verse 26 and 7. He says, If anyone thinks himself to be religious... Now, this idea of being religious, this idea of if anyone thinks himself to be a good Christian, if anyone thinks himself to be on a right path and keeping God happy by what they are doing, if anyone thinks himself to be religious and yet does not bridle his tongue, remember, slow to speak, right? Slow to speak, slow to anger, quick to hear, and yet does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his own heart, Looked into the mirror, you walked away, you've deceived yourself, but have deceived his own heart. This man's religion is worthless. It's worthless. It's of no value. It does them no good. Why even claim to be a religious person if it does you no good? What's the purpose of it? Well, I guess it was maybe kind of akin to the purpose of it that I had when I was a, a, maybe a seven- or eight-year-old boy going to church with my mama and hearing about the streets of gold versus the flames of hell. And obviously, any boy at the age of eight wants streets of gold, right? Not the flames of hell. So I did. I walked forward out of fear of the flames of hell. I wanted gold instead. And the relationship that they told me I had with God proved ultimately to be worthless in that by the time I was 20 years old, I was completely out of the church, had no interest in the church, didn't want to have anything to do with people in the church. I thought I was smarter than God. His ways were repressive, backwards, outdated, etc., etc., until one day when he thumped me really hard on the head and got my attention. And, and then that's, that's what I called conversion, Right? It's worthless. It's meaningless. It's a waste of your time. Don't do that. But, verse 27, notice, but pure and undefiled religion in the sight of our God and Father is this. Is this. This pure and undefiled religion. Pure, undefiled. And again, this isn't just... We like talking about relationship, right? We have a relationship with God through His Son, Jesus Christ. I believe this is exactly what he's talking about here. But pure and undefiled religion, a relationship with God the Father through His Son, Jesus Christ, by grace through faith alone. I believe that's what is embedded in this idea of this word religion. Pure and undefiled religion in the sight of our God and Father is this. And this is where I was saying in the context of trials, we need to be others-focused. 
We need to take the focus off of ourselves while going through our various trials and look outside of ourselves and see how we can be of benefit to others. And it's amazing how when you get your focus off yourself and onto others, your sense of depression, your sense of loneliness, your sense of all these whatever your feelings may be, you're all up in your feelings, those things tend to go away. Have you noticed that? It's this, to visit orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained by the world. So you've got this and, it's to visit orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained by the world. Keep yourself busy in doing pure and undefiled relationship with Jesus. Go visit orphans and widows. Go visit people who are in a place of greater need than you yourself are. Get outside of yourselves and be a ministry to those. The orphans and widows, God always looked out for them in the Old Testament. And here he is again saying, keep your focus on these people. They're in a true place of need. And make certain that you're also being a doer of the word. Keep yourself unstained by the world, the world's culture, the world's wisdom, the world's ways. Keep yourself unstained, untainted by that world. Now, I don't know if you've ever done that little experiment. Um, I remember as a kid I did this. I don't think I've done it in a long time. But um, for obvious reasons, but I remember my mom brought home a, a packet one day, and it was some kind of a, an, an egg packet, and you, it, you would get these uh, eggs, and you had uh, just some kind of a, I guess it was like a wax, and you could write on the egg, and then you could dip it into the, the dye, and then when you brought the egg out of the dye where you put the wax, the, there was not the stain, and so, you know, you could write your name on it. I'd write Ben, B-E-N. When you're six, that's pretty fun, right? I mean, it's cool to have an egg with your name on it. I mean, you've, you've arrived. And so, you know, we did all those kinds of things, right? And I'm sure you guys have done that too, or you could color the whole, you could color the whole egg in with this wax, dip it in there, it comes out, and it's, it's, it's unstained. Keep yourself unstained by the world. Put on the full armor of God. Put the armor of God on every day so that you can be keeping yourself unstained because you're going to go out there in the culture. You're going to get dipped into the culture. You're going to hear the world's wisdom. You're going to see the world's ways. You're also going to see the failure of the world's ways, by the way, and don't avoid making those observations. You want, you want a marriage like that? <laughs> well, then do what they do. Pretend to be smarter than God. Pretend that you can have sex outside of marriage, shack up, and then if it works out, great, then get married. If not, divorce and go your own way and try to figure it out. Try to, you just try to be smarter than God. You, want, you, you, know, you won't be unstained. To be unstained, you have to be a person who's, who's um, not a forgetful hearer, but the effectual doer who becomes blessed in what they do. That's the way you do this. So, in the context of your various trials, you have a need to be others-focused, is what James is saying. There are people out there, widows and orphans, that have greater needs than you. Get your focus off yourself. Find others to serve. And in the process, 
Keep yourself unstained by the world. Because if you get stained by the world, you're not going to do any of this anyways. You're going to go back to trying to live for yourself. You following James? You following James? You see where he's headed? You see what he's saying in chapter 1? Powerful chapter. It's one of the most powerful chapters I I know of anywhere in in the Word of God. Because this is where we live every single day of your lives. So, brothers and sisters, you have a need to be patient when facing various trials. Patient. Amen? You have a need to be obedient to God and His Word, and you have a need to be others-focused. Let's do this. Let's pray.